welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The wisdom to know the difference. Okay, good morning, everybody. My name is Chaim. I am a grateful recovering sexaholic. We are up to step three and, um, in the workshop. And so far, it's been a, a, a very special experience. I want to start off by saying that step three, especially this topic that we're going to talk about today, is a, is a very heavy topic for me. And in my 13 years in recovery, I hear it's a heavy topic for the average guy. You know, step three says we made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand. I still remember as, as day the confusion of I so badly want to give my will and my life over to the care of God, but why the hell did God do all this to me? Why did God make me a sexaholic? Why would God torture me this way by making me someone who desires everybody else but the love of my life? Why would God have me be busy with sex and lust my entire life before coming into program? And now you tell me I need to come to believe in a power greater than myself. And now I need to turn my will and my life over to a God that on the outside I love. And there's moments of feeling I love him and he loves me. But overall, only a bastard would give a human being sexualism. Only the devil would give a human being sexualism. I mean, the gates of hell that we've all been in numerous times to own the seat in SA, only the, only the worst of the worst. I don't wish this upon my, the worst enemy in the world. And I remember, I remember sitting with my sponsor and my sponsor explains to me, give your will and your life over to God. And inside of me, it's like, I'm ready. I'm ready to give it over. But I found my years being here that if we're rigorously honest with ourselves, um, it's very hard to give it over to somebody I don't like. <laughs> it's like, give over. Imagine, imagine somebody came to me and said, the next $100,000 that you make, I want you to give it over to your enemy. Not only that, I want you to give your wife and children over to your enemy. Not only that, I want your thought process to be given over to your enemy. Not only that, I want every part of you, everything, every decision you make, give it over to your enemy. I mean, how, how, how am I supposed to do that? 
That's why I love this program. The program says until we become rigorously honest, we can't recover. How am I supposed to recover when you're telling me the whole program is based on the way I give my will and my life over to the care of God when I don't think God cares about me? And I have proofs, and also my childhood beliefs prove that. Also the readings of my religion prove that. How am I supposed to give my will and my life over to the care of God? You know, the big book says, the big book says <clears throat> on page 45, lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves. Obviously, but where and how were we to find this power? So the big book says we have to find a power greater than ourselves, otherwise we can't, we, can't, we can't survive. We're not going to stay alive, we're not going to recover, we're going to keep acting out. Well, that's exactly what this book is about. The whole reason for this book, he says, he wrote the entire big book. The book that has saved millions and millions of people is for what reason? Why is this book around? Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. That means we have written a book which we believe to be spiritual, moral, and it means, of course, that we're going to talk about God. So the whole purpose of this book is to find a God. I have a very hard time with finding a God in my life if I don't think He's there for me and He loves me. And I had evidence throughout the years of why God was there for me. But I had a lot of evidence why God was there to stab me in the back. And there's so many scriptures and all religions showing him almost like with this pitchfork in his hand. Like, haha, you screwed up. Boom, I'm here to get you. And I needed to, to, to not just wash this over. And I think this is very critical for our fellowship. Very, very critical. Um, in um, Tradition 2. Tradition 2... I just remember this, so I marked this. This is not my type to like bring down like places, <laughs> but I think it's so important over here. Tradition 2 says, For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. A loving God. And I've sat in meetings and meetings and meetings and listened to my sponsor and shook my head 100%, 100%, wondering why this program is not working for me until I got the real, the rear, raw, unadulterated version that me and God really are not such good friends as I anticipated him to be. And I remember one of my rabbis who I was extremely close to, I remember when he told me, he said, you have a really warped concept of God. Now, it was very weird because I gave lectures before coming into program about God. I have learned all day and not, all day and night, and I have spoken about a loving God very passionately. 
but the connection wasn't there. You know that feeling, like if you could bring yourself into the moment, you know that feeling like when you just say, F it, I'm going to act out, I'm going to take an action, I lost. For me, there was a moment of like, F you, God. There was a, such a F you, I remember one of the, the guys in fellowship used to say, every time I act out, it's giving the middle finger to God and telling him to go F himself. You know the feeling the second after the orgasm when it's like, God, why did you do this to me? Like, why would you make me do this? You know the feeling an hour later when you're like pleading with God or 20 minutes later and you feel like your relationship with him is almost like on a mountaintop because you are so broken that the only thing you're talking to is God because there's nothing else that exists really. And you feel like you're going to die. That was my story. I thought that's considered normal. So my step one, my powerlessness, is so rooted into the fact that I don't have a loving God in my life. So you wonder why I can't get over lust. The solution to lust and the solution to acting out is finding a power greater than myself, is getting a relationship with God who loves me, who I'm supposed to love, but I don't have that relationship. So pre-program, I could be praying to God and asking God to restore me to sanity and not act out. It doesn't work because I don't really love him and he really doesn't love me and I really believe he doesn't love me. One of the key fundamental differences, even though we're taking similar actions, pre-program or after-program, is after-program, we get to a place of unconditional love from God. Whether we're sober a day, a year, or 10, 20, 50 years, it doesn't make a difference. A God that loves me. A God that when I'm in the pits of pits, when I'm in the, in the hell hole, I know he ultimately loves me. And I need to brainwash myself this truth. Even if I don't want to believe it, and even if you could prove to me, stronger than I could prove to you, that God really doesn't love me, I am forced by the disease of sexualism to believe in a power greater than myself called God and he loves me unconditionally. Otherwise, I cannot recover from this disease. My disease warrants God to love me. And this is not, this is very, it's a fine line. Because I could give you 10 proofs of why God loves me and you can give me 10 proofs of why God doesn't. This is not about proving God loves me. This is not about right and wrong. This is about one simple thing. I need to adapt the belief that I am a sexaholic, which means I am powerless over lust, which means if I take a drink of lust, I have no way to stop because the phenomenon of craving starts. The same way I need to believe that, and you need to come to believe that there is a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity. I need to believe that there is a God that loves me. But who said? Maybe, maybe he doesn't. You know something? Maybe after we all die, we either come up to heaven or we don't. Or, we, or anything happens to us. Who cares what your belief system is? Now, if there is nothing... If there is nothing after here, 
and it's all over, so then who gives a crap if God loves you or not? It happens to feel better if we believe that God loves us. For me, it does. For the people that came before me, it did. And if there is a God, and God does exist, which, by the way, the reading does say, find God or die. So we don't really have a choice whether we want to believe that there is a God in the world. It says straight out, find God or die. So I could be as obnoxious as I want and as stubborn as I want and say, no, I don't believe in this power or greater than myself. I don't believe in the whole God. You will die from sexualism. But worst case scenario, there is a God. I do believe in him. I think he loves me mad. I think he sits and roots for me like, like crazy. I think he wakes me up in the morning because he says, Chaim, I just love you. I think he's crazy about me when I really screw up. I think when I really, really screw up, and it's really even my fault, like I caused the screw up, I think God is looking at me and saying, I love you. Come here. Come here, I just want to hug you, Chaim. You're the greatest thing in the world. Imagine yourself as a kid. You really, really, really screwed up. And your father put his hand around you and said, you know something? Dove or Tzvi or whoever, you know something? I really love you. How would that feel? We can't even imagine because we never got that. And there's a reason we're here, let's be honest. But you really screwed up and you, you got a beer hug. Imagine you screw up really an essay and a guy comes up to you and says, you screw up? You acted out? You took an action of lust? You're a piece of garbage. You, you know what kind of piece of garbage you are? You're literally shit. <clears throat> You'll run around the whole program saying, you know what the guy told me? The guy thinks he's sober. He called me a piece of shit for taking an action of lust. You do it to yourself every day. Every day when you take an action of lust, you tell yourself that message. Why don't you run around the whole program telling the whole program how you tell, that you tell yourself that you're a piece of shit. And that you're horrible and you're not worthy of staying sober. And that you're garbage. Why don't you tell everybody that? Why only when that guy tells it to you? We're comfortable in a society of I am garbage when I messed up. And we're very uncomfortable when we mess up, to say, oh, it's okay. You're still love, you're still worth it. You could still get sober. Yeah, but you don't know what I did. You're still a great guy. Yeah, you messed up your whole family. You still are a great guy and God is still rooting for you. You know why? Because he still brought you back to SA. If he didn't believe in you, why, why didn't he keep you out there like everybody else? There's a belief in SA that everybody really belongs in SA, right? Everybody really loves porn and mass debates and what's the difference between me and them? The difference is God loves you so much he brought you here. God is so crazy about you that even though you, you did everything in the world to mess over your life, you're here to get the greatest life in the world. And it's very uncomfortable. And for me, it was so uncomfortable 
that I needed to do a lot of real work on this topic. A lot of work, a lot of writing. I remember being sober for four years and I fell right back into this punishing God, this God that, with the wiggling finger, the God that points at me and says, you are a screw-up. And I needed to get down with pen and paper and I cried through it. I wrote down my old belief of the way I see God. A God that has rule and judgment. A God that doesn't forgive. A God that keeps um, records of every single thing that you have seen. That's a lot of records to keep. And he's going to show you everything you did. That's going to be really cool, to be honest, if that's the case. Okay. And he's going to watch it with you and everybody else. Uh, that's weird. And, and all the beliefs of God. And I, ha- I had to write it down. And then I had to take a red marker and X one by one off. I don't believe in that anymore. And even when the thought process comes in, I say, no, thank you. I have a damaged brain. I don't believe in that anymore. So when life is not working out well, and my belief is, see, you're going down, Chaim. And you're going to go down hard. I ask myself, is that my old belief or my new belief system? If it's my old belief system, goodbye. You check that girl out. I saw you are going to lose your sobriety. Is that my old belief or new belief? My old belief? I don't believe it anymore. Yeah, but you took even a significant action of lust, Chaim, and you didn't even tell your sponsor. So now it's really on you, because the program says that you need to be rigorously honest. So now you're really going to mess up. Is that my old belief or new belief? And it goes on and on and on. And it's a great tool, by the way. If you never did it, this is a tool that works. Write out your old beliefs in God. And only the addict is going to come up with, I'm not sure which is my old, I'm not sure which is my new, my new, my old, my old, my new. It's very simple. If your brain is thinking, then is your old belief. Because one of my old beliefs is, I have enough power to undo all my sexualism and figure this, this stuff out. That's also my old belief. And if you don't have a new belief in God, then either find God or die. If you're not going to come to believe in this new God that's all loving and unconditional, there is no way to stay sexually sober. It just doesn't work. And I'm going to show you one way. It's not a proof. It's not really a proof. The same way I didn't prove to you that you bash yourself all day. It's not really a proof, but it's it's a factual thing. I said this on the last workshop. I'm going to say it again. The way I perceive God is the way... I perceive the rest of the world and I believe the rest of the world perceives me. When I feel like I am garbage, sorry, when I project on God that he looks at me that I am garbage, I naturally walk around I am garbage. And if I'm garbage, I got news for you, buddy, you are also. And if you are garbage, then I am garbage, then I might as well do garbage actions. The way I feel about myself is the way we act. Every action that we do, I think I heard this from either Sandy B or Joe and Charlie. Every action we do goes through the brain of thought. The way I think 
then transforms into an action. I can't take an action without a thought process. So if my thought process is this, I wake up in the morning, God loves Chaim so much he doesn't know what to do with himself. He's dancing for me. He hugged me the whole night. The blanket was God's beer hug to me the whole night. He is so crazy about me. He doesn't know what to do. He wants to scream on the loudspeakers how crazy he is about me. Does that work with the next process? Oh, let me stroke my penis. Does that go? How about this process in the morning? I'm a piece of shit. Life sucks. God hates me anyway. F up. I F'd up everything. Nothing works out. Even my wife, what the hell did I marry her for? Could have gotten any hot girl in the world I ended up with her. Might as well stroke my penis. Which process works better? I'm in the afternoon. Business deal didn't work out. God hates me. I'm such a piece of garbage. Nothing works out in life. I knew it. All the messages of it's not going to work out. You are a loser. You are. Look. You know something? Shia, might as well watch YouTube a kosher thing. Or, you know something? Screw it. You might as well just watch whatever you want. You know something? Screw it. I'm just going to porn. Does that work? The deal didn't work out. God loves me. He knows this deal is not for me. He knows it's the worst thing in the world if this deal worked out. I don't know because I can't see the future, but I believe that God could. And he knows if this deal worked out, it would come with so much problems and difficulties and insanity. It would wreck my whole life. And God who loves me so much is protecting me from me. He's crazy about it. Oh, but it hurts because I can't pay my bills now. And I just visualize God loving me. It's okay. Yeah, it does hurt. Make a phone call to another guy and explain to him how, how much pain you're in. And give yourself a hug and imagine God loving you. I want to watch porn. <coughs> Does that work? Our acting out comes as a result of a thought process that says, I am worthless, God hates me. And the way we perceive God looks at us, that's how we look at ourselves, and that's how we look at the world. And if that is the case, that we look at ourselves that way, and that's the way we look at the world, so then when somebody comes to me and says, Chaim, you're a piece of garbage, he's really just simply saying he's in a garbage place right now. He's hurting. Chaim, what do you... That's really where he's holding. You know how I know? Because when that guy is sober and he's spiritually fit, he comes over to me and says, Chaim, I love you. <laughs> you know how I know? Because I do that to you. Because when I'm hurting and I feel like a piece of garbage, I lay it out on you. So what ends up happening is the world either exists through the channel of love or it doesn't exist. What ends up coming out is very, very simple but deep. Harvey, Harvey recently told me that his new sponsor believes in a channel of love in the world. Love. God works through a channel called love. It's so comforting when you sit there. It's so uncomfortable, by the way, when you sit there, to be honest. Because we're so not used to it. We're so not used to being able to just mess up. I remember when I was sober for a few years in recovery, I remember telling my wife, out of all people, genius, don't recommend to do it. It's like, I just want to go back out there because I just, I just want to be able to screw up. I don't want everybody to love me. <laughs> She's like, don't try that, buddy. 
but there was this innate feeling, I want to be able to screw up and not have to almost like clean up the Legos afterwards. I want to be able to give the middle finger to the world and be loved. Until I learned in this program, I did that for 27 years. I gave the world the middle finger. And the one person that stood by my back and held me tight and loved me through everything was God. I wasn't even in the strip club. I was so drunk, I didn't even know what I was seeing. You'll like this one, by the way. I, was, I, I, I would go to the strip clubs at certain points. I was so drunk and so sick from the strip club, I would sit there and watching sports in the strip club. There's better places to watch sports than in the strip club. I was so drunk. I wasn't there. We said this many times. That I didn't do it. If I was powerless, then I didn't do it. That God did it. So God, who caused me to do all these actions, brings me to SA. Why? How come? It could only be one reason. He wants me to live on a higher level, on a different world. I wasn't there when I was masturbating. I was in la-la land. God was by my side. If God is everywhere, which I choose to believe... He was the one there. He watched every masturbation. It's a lot of masturbating, by the way. He watched every porn scene. That's a lot of porn. He watched every strip club, every dollar I spent, every time I fantasized, every time I thought about the girl, even in recovery. Even the actions that I take while I'm sexually sober. Oh, so what's with the question of so why did God make me a sexaholic then all the pain and all the suffering and why and why and why we could get into that and we could talk about all that and it is important to talk about but we're running out of time because I really want to open up the floor for questions because this is a heavy topic and we could get into all of that but try to hear me I don't have necessarily the answers for everything why 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 but I don't have the question anymore. Because as a result of my sexaholism, I got more than I could dream of on this world. So college sucks, and going to college for eight years really sucks, and it's a lot of work, and you don't get paid even for it. But as a result of it, when you're out of college and you're practicing your field, you're making a lot of money. You could walk around the rest of your life saying, why did I have to suffer for eight years, sleepless nights, not being home, my wife was bitching my kids, and da 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 You could live that way. See where it gets you. <coughs> or you could just say, you know something? The hand that gave me that great life called college, don't slap in the face. Sexualism at the end of the day gave me a beautiful marriage today. That's the reality. I didn't have close to what I have now. People don't believe me when I say this. My wife told me she would remarry me. She's the one that bitched and couldn't get out of bed and was in hellhole for, for a very long time when she found out about my disease. My sex alone gave me the ability to be real and honest. I could not be real and honest prior to that. It gave me the ability to be transparent. It gave me the ability to give over all the hundreds of tools that I learned here to my children who are thriving as a result. It gave me the ability to be at peace with myself. It gave me all the promises. It doesn't mean I don't struggle sometimes and have a difficult time, of course. I'm not, though, you know, flying. Life is life. 
but it gave me the hand of all the pain at the end of the day gave me all the gifts. When you're lust-free and you're sexually sober, you don't ask the question, why do I have this disease? It's always the guy that just finished the action of lust that picks up the phone and calls me and says, Hi, why do I have the disease? You know what my answer is? What action of lust did you take? And usually he goes, how do you know? I say, because if you're sober and you're not lusting, you don't have these questions. You're really happy. You're calling, who else could I help? Who else could I be there for in the fellowship? Who else could I give the light that I received so freely? Shaul knows when I was sponsoring Shaul for, for a long time, there was that one day I'll never forget, Shaul called me on the phone and he went ranting. This stupid effing disease, the bother, you lost it on me. And then when he was done, I said, so Shaul, was it at least good, the action you took? <laughs> and we both first they laughing. How do I know that? Because that's what I do. But this is the transformation that even if I take an action of lust, to be able to stop and say, God loves me, I could turn even the action of lust into the spiritual awakening of recognizing where it came from, why did I get there, what was the confusion, what do I need to learn from it, changes in my life. I came to see that I could only, in step three, give my will and my life over to the care of God if I believe God is sitting there with ice cream and candy and he loves me and he just wants to adore me and I'll finish off with this and we'll open the floor for sharing there's a big piece to this whole thing also we all have gone through trauma in our life if you didn't have trauma from parents and you didn't have trauma from teachers and you didn't have trauma from from being bullied or abused you didn't have trauma from the school system and you didn't and you didn't and you didn't so I got news for you. Your sexualism traumatized you so much that you're not even aware of it. It's a fact. If there's a problem in work, I need to take care of the problem in work. If instead of taking care of the problem in work, I watch porn for three hours and the problem becomes bigger, you know what I've been doing? Traumatizing myself. If my wife is in a bad mood and she's bitchy, and the right way to deal with it is me communicating with my wife appropriately and asking her, is there something wrong? How could I be there for you? Or my child is in a tantrum and what I'm supposed to do is being a loving father and just hug him and say, life is going to be okay. And instead of doing that, you know what I do? I lock myself in my study and I watch porn for two hours. You know what I've done? I traumatized myself. I didn't deal with the reality. I didn't deal with the situation. The situation gets worse. I get worse and I traumatize everything and everybody around me, including myself. So we all have levels of trauma. And I could go on and on and on about the whole trauma thing. I've been, <laughs> been in this uh, situation for a long time dealing with this. And there's a lot of various traumas. Psychiatrists and therapists all believe that abusing yourself through any substance abuse, that's why it's called substance abuse, it's abuse, right? If you did to me what I did to myself through the watching porn and masturbating, you would be called a, you would, you would, you would be locked away. <laughs> You know how many sleepless nights I caused myself? How many times I woke up in the middle of the night? You know how many times I drove? I shouldn't be behind the wheels. I was literally not, not there. You know how many times I traumatized myself? You know how many places I walked into that you're not supposed to see a kid 27 years old in that place? I traumatized myself. The hell? 
how do you turn around to a kid that's traumatized in an adult body? I'm a child in an adult body. Tell him it's your fault. You own responsibility for everything you did. It's the worst thing you could do to a child. The worst thing you could do to the kid who traumatized himself. Imagine the kid didn't realize he took knives and started to cut himself. Or beat himself. Then you walk over to him. It's your fault for cutting yourself. Why did you do that? The only thing everybody would say is pick up this loving kid and beer hug him. Beer hug him. Love him till he loves himself. And that's what this fellowship told me. We're going to love you, Chaim, until you love yourself. We're going to teach you that God loves you until you believe that God actually loves you. And then you have a chance of becoming sober. The one thing that stood behind me all the years was a loving God. And I need to get to that place because even when I'm saying it, there's those feelings of like, but you got to understand something. It's not as simple as you're making it. Imagine you saw an adult tell that to that little kid. It's not so simple, kid. You're supposed to understand that in the next world, everything you've done wrong, you are going to get smited and beaten and punished. And the fires of the next world are a massive, 50 billion times stronger than the biggest fire on this world. Very healthy for that kid. Oh, where is this God? I want to get close to him. <laughs> and if you don't love God who hates you, he's going to hate you more. Imagine telling that to a little kid who's traumatized. <clears throat> but yet, we'll tell it to each other if somebody, God forbid, says the little, one wrong word. A certain percentage of shears over here is, my wife said, my boss said, the guy in the... My teacher said, our whole fourth step is everybody not being perfectly sensitive with myself. And I to myself abuse the hell out of myself. Somebody comes over to me with a problem. Take care of yourself, self-care. Get yourself a good coffee. Take it easy. Don't work so hard. Me, myself, work, work. If you don't, messages, I would never tell it to you. Why am I telling it to myself? It's called trauma. It's like interesting, think about it. This topic is about me convincing you that God loves you and you saying, no, he doesn't. What are we even talking about? Okay, he hates you, good? Okay, I agree with you. Now let's stay sober somehow. It doesn't even make sense. It's ludicrous. And for me, I needed to bang my head on wood to get this through my thick skull. And I got it, and I lost it, and I got it, and I lost it, and I got it, and I lost it. And that's my journey in recovery. It's my humility that I might till the last day of breath, I might think some messages might filter through my brain of saying, you don't got it. You don't got it. There's a punishing God one day. And that's part of my trauma. And it's something I just got to accept that when those messages come, I have a choice. It's the same message that girl wants to have sex with me. It's the same message of I'm, I'm, I'm useless. It's the same message that I can finish this talk and give myself a message of Chaim, you didn't speak well. It's, it's all messages and I could pick which one I want. And where did this all come from? All this God thought process, where did it come from even? It's the messages that we were given. So if we were given messages of just love, 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 acceptance, we would believe that today. We weren't, so we believe that. 
I have found that in order to stay sexually sober and become happy, joyous, and free, I am forced to believe in my heart and heart that I am a worthwhile child of God and that God is truly there for the sexaholic and that God loves the sexaholic and the sexaholic is a good human being worthy of love. And I need to learn to love myself. I need to learn that the way I perceive God is the way I'm going to perceive myself and others. And I need to learn to stay humble, humble. The one reason we can't recover in this fellowship is we f we're fighters. We've got to stop the fighting. I need to just listen to what my sponsor believes in because somehow he figured out through his sponsor who figured out through his sponsor that there's a way to stay sexually sober that I don't figure out. And one of the key elements to figuring this all out is to believe that unconditionally, I mean unconditionally, unconditionally means what we're all thinking, but if, but if you knew, Chaim, that piece, you wouldn't be saying that. That's, what, that's exactly what the unconditional means. So while you're thinking about you don't get that, that's the unconditional place that is holding you back from staying sexually sober and becoming happy, joyous, and free and believing that God loves you. That place, that moment, that thing that I'm still, even in recovery, not telling to anybody and I'm going to live with, in that place, put in a little bit of sprinkle of unconditional love from God. You'll see it'll be easier to even stay sexually sober. That's it I got. Thank you for letting me share. Okay, let's open up the floor. Thank you for questions and answers. God willing. <laughs> Go. Let's say my religion says that there's like 13 principles of faith. Does that mean I just throw everything away and then... Great question. Great question. There? How do I reconcile both? So the question is on the table that if, you're, if your faith believes in a punishing God or your, your faith believes that you are hated for certain actions that you take, which is a lot of what we believe our faith believes. What, again, what we believe our faith believes. So how do I reconcile that? The answer is that is the journey of recovery. The journey of recovery is to reconcile that. But we're here by step three. <laughs> you don't tell a little child, we're going to talk to you about a punishing God. We're going to talk to you about punishment in the next world. You don't tell a little child that if you disbehave, I'm going to slap you across the face until you bleed. Now, some of us maybe were told that as children and punished in such severe ways, so we, we're okay with that message. In a healthy, balanced world, that's not what we deal with. That's the process of step four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, where all of a sudden, when we get to step 11, we come to just recognize that it's, it's, it's perceptions. And for every 20 examples that you'll give me of your religion, of why your religion shows that you're going to get punished, <coughs> and there are principles, I'll give you another 20 that shows the total opposite. But for the time being, the rigorous, honest answer is, like I said before, we could go back and forth and debate this. The real honest answer is my humility needs to say for today, I am not having that conversation. For today, I am adapting a God that loves me unconditionally. In the future, I will deal with that. 
It's like when you go to a rabbi and ask him a question of if you're allowed to do something or not allowed to do it, and he says, you could do it. You sit there and say, okay, now let's, let's learn the, 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 the whole, um, everything on that topic, and when you teach me what's behind it, and behind it, and behind it, and behind it, now I'll go do it. Or you just say, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do, that's what I'm going to do. Maybe one day I'll tackle that topic. We say, okay, if that's what you believe, that's what I'm going to do, I'll tackle it. There's a certain faith aspect there, a certain belief, a certain... I put my beliefs on the side. If you tell me this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to do it. Good? So, Danny Sexaholic. Danny. Danny, so this belief system, you know, I have a similar story that before program, the lectures and the loving God and everything like that, and coming into program, I realized that I had that misconception. Now, my question is, though, is throughout life, or throughout my days, I do still, if I'm going to be rigorous, honest with myself, I still have that conception. So how... Which conception? Of this old God. That um, is? Punishing God. Punishing God. Punishing God and stuff. My question is, the idea of faking it until you make it. So, you know, let's say I want to, be- I want to start believing that. I'm writing it down. I go on in my day. What's, the, what's that balance of Beautiful. until you make it? Beautiful. In one essence, I'm God, 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 but deep down inside, deep down, I'm you don't go the same thing I did beautiful, back then, beautiful. I don't want to fall into Beautiful, that. so the question is, we go back and forth between this loving God, punishing God, punishing God, loving God, and it becomes a, a mush, it becomes like a whole like mix-up, and, and like how do we put the punishing God in its place and put the loving God in its place? Firstly, I just said that wrong. This is my belief. There is no punishing God. So I'm not putting anybody in, in the place. It doesn't exist. It's a, that's called a devil. Okay? And the reason I say that is I need to write down what that looks like and first acknowledge. I don't, I don't think the fake it till you make it works with this. I need to, for once and all, write down my real beliefs and look at it and see it for what it is and acknowledge it and own it and hold it and then get rid of it. If I'm here and there and there and here and here and there, you ever speak to somebody and the guy tells you, I hate this guy with a passion, this and that, and you start talking and you're like, so you hate him? I'm not saying I hate him, I just hate him and, and I really, I, I forgive him. Step on, I didn't step on in the guy, really, I, I forgive the guy and, and you, you know you're not supposed to hate somebody, right? The guy's such a bastard, this guy's a piece of shit. I love him because at the end of the day, you're supposed to love the people that you hate and you're like, whoa, 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 okay, do you love him, you hate him? No, I'm telling you, I'm not arguing with you, we're saying the same thing. That's what I did in this program. It doesn't work. I did that a lot with my father, unfortunately, <coughs> like in my, in my school system. I, I didn't admit that this is what was done to me because I knew he loved me so much and he did so much good, I refused to just separate, but he did the bad. And in therapy, I remember Shmuley, it was like 12 years ago, because you just say out of your mouth what was done to you as a child. Couldn't get it out. I couldn't. My therapist said, write it down on a piece of paper, come back the next week. If you want to share it, share it. Came back the next week and the therapist went around the room. We were a group therapy, five guys. So you want to share what was done? I said, no. No, big deal. So I wrote it out. Now what? Big deal. You know how much good was done? And my belief system is also like good outdoes bad. So the bad never happened. You understand? And he's like, okay, if you don't want to read it, don't. And he went to the next day, and all of a sudden, I ripped out the paper, and I sat for an hour 
crying like a two-year-old. Me and everybody else. Crying of the garbage that was done to me. And even I remember till today, even while I was crying it out, I was like, you're not allowed to think this way. Your father did so much good. You know what your parents did for you? You know what your school did? Well, you were an easy kid. Like, who are you fooling? Like, like, I couldn't just say, this was done to Chai. This is my belief system about God. We did the same thing. We were very busy with it. Yeah, he punished me, but he really was us. Because What is my honest belief? And that's why I started off saying, and do this exercise. I needed to do this exercise numerous times in recovery. And then I'm sober for like seven, eight years, and Harvey comes to one of these conventions, and he starts singing about a loving God and everything. I sat there and bawled for 25 minutes uncontrollably over a table. And I realized no matter how much I talk about this God, there's a piece inside of me that really believes. <laughs> it's so deep, but I got to be honest about it. I can't sit here and now say, everybody should know now. I have no feelings about an, uh, an old devil, uh, God, whatever you want to call him. And today, uh, peace and <coughs> tranquility about a loving God. No, that's not my story. <coughs> It got better, and it gets better, and then it gets a little worse, and two steps forward, one step back, two steps back, one step forward. But I'm heading to the process of an unconditional loving God, and that is a feeling. That's why I am passionate. That's when it came to step three now. I'm like, uh, let's talk about giving our will over. And right away it came up for me. I, I, what do you give it over? Who is this God? What is he about? So really, really get honest about it. Get to a point of hating it. Get to a point of like, I don't want it. Get to a point of that doesn't work for me. Get Talk about the, the, the old slash quote unquote God. Be honest about it. Don't, don't go back and forth. And if you're not ready to go to the new God, try the old one a little longer. See how he provides for you. Where's a big book? <clears throat> it says... Um, Page 63. When we sincerely took such a position, talking about finding a new God, all sorts of remarkable things followed. I'm not going to read the whole page. It's worthwhile, page 63, to read the whole page. A new God provides. My old God just just didn't cut, cut it for me. And then, mech, mech. It's really. Like, I'm trying to take the program seriously. And there's that thing inside of me is like, you're calling it. You little. You're just being a baby. You're just like trying to just agree. If you agree, like, my mind's just like that. I'm like scared to ask a question because I don't want to be a person who's. Shut up with your question. Just go, just go, just go. But like, it doesn't feel right. Because there is a huge part of me, the people that I agree on always talk to me about a loving God. And I just, I know that my God's distorted. But I know that there's also people in the world that hold God's the opposite. So why, like how am I the one to choose like, okay, just go after a loving God. Like, I don't understand creating my own God. It's a fact. There's a God. I have two sides. I have 
you saying he's a loving God, I have a lot of my big, big, close people that I love saying there's a loving God, and those are the people that actually want to be like. Then I have the whole other side of my life where like, beautiful, hell, 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 hell. Beautiful. So, like, okay, great, I'll agree with you, but there's always that thing inside beautiful. of me. Maybe they're right. So the question is, and this is the question that comes up for all of us and for me, and it keeps coming up, and, it's, it, and it keeps coming up, and that is, who said this loving God is real? Maybe, maybe God either has a, a double personality disorder, if anybody knows of a good therapist for him, or he, or he actually is a punishing God, or it's very, very serious, or it's like, you do right, you get rewarded, you do bad, you get punished. Who decided this, like, Santa Claus God? Like, just cookies and ice cream. Like, everything is good. Again, it could be I'm wrong. If you have sexualism, you don't have a choice what to pick. Your step, your step one needs to tell you. You're not picking it. You're right. I'm using the wrong word. Your step one picked it for you. Don't pick it. Your step one... My step one told me, listen to what I'm saying. Try not to fight it. Try to just breathe it in. My step, my step one told me that if you don't believe in this loving higher power, you won't get sober. My step one told me that. Ask your step one what it tells you. I forgot the, the slogan. What is, what is whatever do for you? What does your step one do for you? Ask your step one, what does it do for you? My step one tells me two things. Either believe in this devil or believe in love. But you are one million percent right. Who am I? Somebody who has a lot of experience in the world of nakedness and pornography and etc. Make a decision who God is. Like, where's my humility? You're right. I don't make that decision. Primarily. My step one makes it for me. My coming to believe makes it for me. But it's a fact. It's like, okay, great, I'm powerless, and look where that other God's over. There's also a fact that if you don't believe this, you can't stay sober. That's also a fact. Okay, so, but that's God. Maybe that is God. Maybe. Go for it. My step one, my step one. Every. I don't go for it. Don't, don't go for it. So the way I look at it is, it could be a fact that God hates me and will kill me next next thing I do. So it's not about go for it or not go for it. It is a fact. So now, hey, I'm choosing to believe that the sun is is green because it doesn't keep me sober. Who gives a shit? It is yellow. Like it could be that is God. So who am I to? I just, I don't get it. I don't. You, you're, you're asking a very good question. The only thing I could tell you right now, for myself, it's for myself. If step one tells me I'm powerless, and step two tells me I come to believe in a new power, the coming to believe means whatever I believed in in the past has to be nil. Nil, nothing. That's what the big book says. Step three says, make a decision. What's the first word? 
made a decision. It's giving me permission to make that decision to turn my will and my life over to God. I get to make that decision. It says the way you go about making that decision and being comfortable with the decision that you get to make is by working the next bunch of steps. You will be wearing a different pair of glasses than you're wearing now. You will be able to know the world in a different light. You're in a dark room and you're wondering why I can't see anything. If you don't have fears and you don't have your character defects blaring, I could talk for myself. When I had my character defects blaring and fear and resentments and entitlement and low self-esteem and I felt like God hates me because of everything that I've done, but now I'm not doing it. So I don't have that pull to have him hate me because we believe, by the way, that if we do something wrong, if God punishes us, then we didn't do the thing wrong, right? It goes back to before. So I want to almost believe that he hates me so he clears my slate. He doesn't have to clear it because there's nothing there because I'm not doing those actions. And I start living a life of step 11 through prayer and meditation to know your will, God. To know it. That's what you're asking. How do we know it either is or isn't? You just intuitively know. And the humility is I'm willing to go on this process. I don't think you're going to find an ultimate loving God the here and now. If we stay humble and we clear away the wreckage, then a new road opens and you're driving smoothly. Like I said, I don't have the answers to all the questions, but I don't have the questions that need the answers anymore. I, I, I just don't have that question anymore. Even though the question is a question that we all want to ask, I, I just don't have, it just, it just feels right, it is right. I, 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 it, it, it. The big book says we walk hand in hand with the creator of the universe. We intuitively know. I can't, I can't give you my God. It's yours. I just intuitively feel and know that what I'm saying is right. And I hope one day you're going to intuitively feel and know what I feel and beyond. And I hope one day to intuitively feel and know what, what the other person has. Okay, we're over time. Um, next week, we will be doing, again, step three, which basically is giving our will. Now that we have some sort of belief. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.